Support comes from Pacific Science Center, celebrating spring at Paxi with butterflies at the Tropical Butterfly House, sea creatures in the saltwater tide pool, and Jane Goodall, reasons for hope at the IMAX Theater, a journey around the globe to share good news stories. Learn more at PaxSci.org. You're listening to SoundSide. I'm Libby Dankman. What do a former Seattle sports star, a Grammy-winning musician, and a school administrator have in common? They're all at the center of a controversy surrounding a charter school in Des Moines. Now, charter schools aren't a very big deal in Washington state so far. As of 2023, there are just 18 operating in the state. We'll dig into the reasons why school choice hasn't gained much traction in Washington just a little bit later. But the charter schools that are operating here, like the Des Moines-based Why Not You Academy, make big promises to students, teachers, and educators. Why Not You Academy co-founder and then-CEO Scott Canfield shared the ambitious mission for students in a video posted on the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools YouTube page back in 2021. The vision? To connect students with real-life work experiences outside of the classroom and to give them a leg up for life after graduation. But our approach really leads with student interests. Um, it's really much more grassroots and, and leaning in and helping students um, identify their vision for where they want to go after high school. Why Not You Academy also has some well-known financial partners who bring a level of star power. Former Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson and his wife, singer Sierra. Their nonprofit, the Why Not You Foundation, donated $1.75 million to the school. But dozens of students have left the school since the start of the school year in August, and some staff are alleging a toxic culture within Why Not You Academy. That's according to reporting by Dahlia Bazaz, an education reporter for The Seattle Times, who's been digging into what's been going on at Why Not You Academy. Dahlia, thank you so much for being back on Soundside today. Hey, great to be back. So can you give us some background about Why Not You Academy and how it got started? Yeah, for sure. So Why Not You Academy was started by two people, Scott Canfield and Garth Reeves, and they worked together as assistant principals at West Seattle High School for a few years um, until 2019. And they had an idea to create a school that would bring together the best of all the education strategies that they'd seen over their careers. And the model for Why Not You Academy is loosely based on Big Picture, which is a network of schools that focus on career planning and uh, really give students a sense of what they can focus on outside of high school. And so there's access, the school was intended to give access to internships and some time to really ponder the bigger questions about what they want to do after high school. Hmm. And the school touted this connection to a big star for local sports fans. I mean, then Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson and his wife, Ciara. I mentioned that they were financial backers, Dahlia, but is that the extent of their connection to the school? Do we know if they're still involved also? So the way Sierra and Russell Wilson got involved is that their foundation, the Why Not You Foundation, gave a pretty substantial donation, $1.75 million, to the school organization back in 2020. They had to delay opening by a year, um, and they needed some funds in the meantime, so the founders solicited um, donations from a, a number of different organizations, and Why Not You was one of them. 
And in their contract with the school, the foundation specifies that uh, that there need to be two ex officio board members on the board of the school and a couple of other stipulations about a particular curriculum that's in place at the school. But outside of that, they're not super involved in school operations. They do give feedback or their suggestions in the board capacity. And Sarah and Russell Wilson did show up to the school a couple of times uh, while they were still living here to um, hand out different swag and give motivational speeches. And what are parents and students saying about their experience at Why Not You Academy during its first year? So for many of the parents, the first year was actually really idyllic. Uh, Many of them described it as a honeymoon period. Uh, They loved being a part of the founder's vision for the school. And that wasn't the same case from the staff members that I spoke to. A lot of staff members said that they could start to see problems cropping up at the school from, from the beginning. But the families, for the most part, had really great things to say about the school in the first year. So according to the parents and teachers that you've spoken to, things started out pretty good at Why Not You Academy, but they took a turn under the leadership of CEO Abigail O'Neill. What happened? Yeah, so many staff that work at the school or used to work at the school said that they felt demoralized under Abigail O'Neill's leadership. They listed a number of confrontations um, in interviews with me. Um, Abigail O'Neill, the ones that I brought up to her, she denied them or said that they occurred a different way. Um, a couple of different examples that came up, the, uh, co-founder of the school, Garth Reeves, uh, said that he had to step in several times in occasions where, um, O'Neill voiced that she wanted to fire someone based off of like one bad interaction that she had with them. Um, O'Neill denies this or that there were any conversations um, regarding this concern of Reeves. And then another teacher said that she would undermine her decisions in the classroom. So she would step in while class was in session. And in one case, the students had started working on assignment um, that had been passed out at the beginning of the class. Abigail O'Neill walked in and took the assignments off the students' desks with very little explanation, left the room, and then came back with new assignments. And O'Neill said that she doesn't remember the specific incident, but that she would sometimes suggest assignments that were more fitted to the students' reading levels. Just walking in and taking the things off the desk right under the teacher's nose, you know, one incident that you pointed out that really seemed shocking was the treatment of students with disabilities. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. So for a period of time at the beginning of this school year, there was a lot of understaffing. Many staff members had quit. um, And from the previous year, they really didn't have a lot of returning staff. Just two teachers returned from the prior year. And so in uh, the school's effort to make sure all the classes were covered The special education instructors uh, who are providing these legally required services and accommodations to these students, they were assigned to other classroom duty roles, meaning that they couldn't handle um, any sort of special education issues. Um, And the state education department reports that this affected at least 10 students. Um, And the um, instructors that I've spoken to have reported that 
special education services weren't being offered for at least a month this school year. Hmm. For context, how big is Why Not You Academy? Right now, it sits at about 150 students, and it began the school year at 220. So how did parents and teachers respond to this school environment, which some report was kind of chaotic? A lot of them quit or left the school. There were several staff members, like I said before, that left at the end of the second year of the school. So that would be last school year. And parents also began leaving in droves uh, this school year and also kind of at the end of the last school year. And at the beginning of this school year, as some of the staff turnover issues were beginning to crop up and, and students were noticing just a, a roulette of teachers in their classroom, a lot of parents and uh, former educators began emailing the school's board and the founders and some of the funders uh, reporting some of their concerns of things that had been going on for a while and also um, as a result of the staff turnover. And what has that meant for the school? I mean, what kinds of effects have those changes in personnel had either academically or in the feel of what it's like to go to school there? So what parents and staff members have told me is that for a while, the classes at the school just didn't seem to have an agenda. And that is because there wasn't enough staff coverage and the the primary focus was on getting more staff hired. Um, So there were a number of substitutes or people subbing for classes that they weren't necessarily certified in. There are several allegations from several different people that uncertificated staff members were teaching classrooms, which, if confirmed, uh, would be a violation of state law. However, the school denies this, and the state education agency said it hasn't been able to find any evidence that this is true. Um, But that is still a pretty primary allegation that's come out of the students um, and the staff, as well as the special education lapse in services and just a general feeling of disruption at the school. And you reached out to Abigail O'Neill to get her reaction. What was her response? Uh, She denied some of the allegations about her um, interactions with the teacher where she allegedly took assignments off a student's desk. Um, She essentially said that sometimes the staff that can come into a school doesn't share the same school vision And um, once they sort of learn with the vision of the school, they might disagree and and choose to leave. And she also said that she's never intended to be disrespectful to anyone. She and the president of the board of directors, which for a charter school means like that's kind of their school board. She and Bobby Humes, the school board president, said that they think that like this lurch or this uh, This exodus of like staff and parents is due to the departure of the school's two founders and that with every change in leadership, sometimes there is a corresponding exodus of people. So, Dahlia, they're not concerned about deeper problems at the school? Both the school president and Abigail O'Neill did say that they 
felt the school had encountered some challenges, and that was mainly around staff turnover um, and the fact that the staff all resigned all sort of at the same time, and that left the school in a lurch. However, they're asserting that all of these issues that have come out from various former parents and students and staff, that those have all been resolved and that the school is trying to gain its enrollment back and that some families are already asking to come back. And I will also add that the Charter School Commission, which is one of the oversight agencies over charter schools in Washington State, has also been investigating all of these claims because some of the emails from parents had gone directly to the commission. And uh, they say that they've checked out all of these issues and that they've determined that all of them have been resolved, except for the fact that the school is um, less enrolled than they would like. There are just over a dozen charter schools in Washington state, as I mentioned at the jump. I mean, that is just a drop in the bucket compared to another big state on the West Coast. You know, California, of course, is a huge charter school place, 1,300 plus charter schools operating there, according to data from the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. How robust is the oversight of charter schools in Washington state when there are relatively so few operating? So there are two different camps about this question. The first camp would say that the oversight over charter schools is quite robust because they have to adhere to a number of additional rules and check-ins set by the charter school law and the charter commission that public schools don't have to. So for example, the schools have to maintain a minimum sort of enrollment to prove to the commission that they're financially viable. And that's along with a number of mandatory reviews and um, additional rules like school quality. So the commission could choose to revoke a charter school's contract over um, poor academic performance um, or you know low enrollment or any number of um, rules that are listed in the commission's um, bylaws or or state law. Um, And that's something that traditional public schools aren't subjected to. However, the other camp would say that charter schools are not governed by a locally elected school board. And so the level of oversight is, um, is less because If citizens are unhappy with a school's performance, they can, for example, stage a recall um, of a school board member in order to um, enact a certain change at a school district level um, because the school board ultimately decides who the superintendent is of each school district. So, um, yeah, two different camps of thought on that. Mm. So folks uh, who are more favorable towards public schools would say that that oversight is more transparent and democratic. I mean, being a teacher is a really stressful job, Dahlia, no matter where you're doing it, public, private, charter schools. Is there anything about the extra layers of oversight on charter schools that could contribute to greater turnover there? I mean, is there anything that is more challenging to be a teacher in a charter school versus a public school? Many people reported to me, including um, some union leaders and former staff at the school, that the lack of presence of a union in charter schools is a complicating factor for many instructors that work at these schools. 
for example, a union work contract for a school in, in Washington, at least, would state, you know, some minimum hours for break time, some minimum hours for preparatory work so that teachers can actually write their lesson plans and really plan out what they want to do in their classrooms. There are different rules about disciplinary conversations that all union members um, are entitled to. So for example, if you think a conversation is going to lead to discipline, you're allowed to ask for a union representative to be present with you. So all of those things charter school teachers generally do not get. And I'm not aware of any charter school in Washington State that is currently unionized. So where does Why Not You Academy go from here, Dahlia? So the Charter School Commission right now is determining whether to give the school a notice of a corrective action plan, which would give the school sort of like a legally mandated plan to follow. Their main concern with the school is that it is lacking in enrollment and therefore um, may lack financial viability. The school did actually get its last invoice um, confirmed by the Why Not You Foundation. It was for about a million dollars. And so, you know, they're not in any immediate danger of closing, according to school officials, but they are doing some long-term planning to look at their financial viability, and they've stressed that they need to get their enrollment up to ensure that they can be around for the long term. So we're going to be following your reporting, Dahlia, as this goes forward to see if that contract is renewed in 2025. Thank you so much for going through this and for your knowledge of kind of the ways that charter schools are Uh, regulated here in Washington state. And it's really interesting to get a window into one that seems to have hit some struggle years. It's great to get your reporting, Dolly. I I appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to SoundSide. When we come back, I'll dig into Washington state's complicated relationship with charter schools. Back with more in a minute here on KUOW. Welcome back to SoundSide. I'm Libby Dankman. Earlier this hour, I caught up with Seattle Times reporter Dahlia Bazaz to talk about Why Not You Academy, a charter school in Des Moines that's been in the headlines for the departure of dozens of students and teachers. Why Not You Academy is one of just a small group of charter schools in Washington state. There are fewer than 20 across the state, in fact. But in many other places across the country, charter schools have become a popular option for families and students, especially since the pandemic. I think there was a fair amount of, you know, just unhappiness when schools closed. And and also for some families, they just couldn't stay home with their kids and do an online school option. That's Kara Fitzpatrick. She's a story editor for Chalkbeat National and New York. She's also the author of The Death of Public School, How Conservatives Won the War Over Education in America. Kara says one reason why charter schools have not taken off in this part of America is that prior to the pandemic, there was strong support for a more traditional public school education model. So there was a little bit of maybe suspicion about what charter school really was for and what the effect would be on public education. And so it's just been, I mean, it's been kind of a wild ride for that state compared to others where it's just been contested left and right um, from the start. We heard from Seattle Times reporter Dahlia Bazaz that one of the key differences between a charter school and a public school is that charters are not bound by union contracts. Leadership can hire and fire instructors as they see fit. 
What other major differences are there between charter schools and, say, your neighborhood public school? Well, a charter school is supposed to be a public school. You know, that's that's how they are set up. But it's free from the bureaucracy of school districts and really the control of school districts. And that's supposed to give charter schools some more flexibility as far as, you know, student schedules having maybe a longer day or a longer year. And it's supposed to allow them to innovate, to try different things. So basically, it's a publicly funded institution, but it's run more like a private school. Yes, exactly. So let's back up for just a minute and talk about the history here. How did charter schools originally get started in the United States? Charter schools actually were started in Minnesota um, in the early 1990s by Democrats. They were in many ways an answer to Republican support for school vouchers, a school voucher being uh, basically a check that a family receives from the government that can pay for private school. And so Democrats have always been opposed to vouchers and and charter schools gave them something to say in response to vouchers where they could say, you know, we really don't support private school choice, but we support public school choice. Hmm. So it was a way to sort of thread the needle between those two sides of the policy issue, like not denying parents rights to make choices about their children's education, but not fully sending public funding to private schools. Yes. And I think part of the appeal was that charter schools seemed more legally defensible because you didn't run into issues of funding religion. You know, you didn't have the issue of separation of church and state. And so the the concept really became popular, not only with Democrats, but also with Republicans. Mm. What kind of students were charter schools originally intended for? Well, the original idea was that it was for everyone, you know, that that all kids could benefit from having choices, that all families could benefit from that. Over time, I think the charter school movement became popular with students of color and with low income children, often because those were the families that were looking for other options. Because their neighborhood school, they weren't happy with the results? Yeah, in some cases, maybe it wasn't a good fit or, you know, in, in urban areas, especially you were sometimes dealing with under-resourced schools um, segregation and and families looking for, for options outside of that zone school. Kara, I want to talk more about the situation here in Washington state. In 2012, voters narrowly approved a ballot initiative to allow public funding for charter schools. But the state's relationship with these schools has been fraught. The state Supreme Court later ruled that general fund money could not be allocated to charters. So the legislature had to step in and pass this workaround that sends lottery revenue to charter schools instead. And today, charter schools in the state still don't receive as much public funding per student as regular public schools because they can't access levy money. What do you think this says about where charter schools fit into the educational landscape here in Washington compared to other states that you've looked at in your reporting? I think in Washington, there just hasn't been this real outcry for charters that we've seen in some other places. I think part of that also is just the way the state is set up. You know, you have very large areas of the state that are rural. And so there's not a lot of different options. You know, you tend to have the one sort of small school district. It's not unlike how I grew up in Washington state, actually. And so I think Oftentimes, there's an attachment to those schools into that district and a real commitment to try to make things work in the school district. And so you don't have as many parents sort of looking for 
this alternative that the charter school represents that tends to be most popular in urban areas that maybe have, you know, sort of some more troubles in their in their school district. And really, until the pandemic, I don't think there was as strong of a move, you know, in Washington for charter schools. Yeah. Talk to me about what we've seen during the pandemic, you know, across the country, a lot of school districts, public school districts have experienced a drop in enrollment. According to reporting from Education Week, between the 2019-2020 and 2021-22 school years, charter school enrollment increased by 7 percent, about 240,000 students nationwide. How did the pandemic play a role in the school choice movement? I mean, the pandemic really opened things up politically for the school choice movement, not just for charter schools, but also for really for private school choice, for school vouchers and similar programs. I think there was a fair amount of, you know, just unhappiness when schools closed. And and also for some families, they just couldn't stay home with their kids and do an online school option and also work. You know, it's just that that wasn't a feasible option for their families. And so there was kind of this opportunity in a way for school choice advocates to say, you know, there are other ways of doing this. And so I think a lot of families were looking for different different choices and you know, I know um, from from coming out to Seattle for a book event, I talked to some families who, you know, maybe they tried something new for the short term and then realized that they liked it. You know, maybe they enrolled in a charter school or a Catholic school and then they didn't want to change, you know, the placement again a year later. And so it just it created this sort of situation where families were willing or had to try something different. And some of them stuck with it. The the charter schools that, that had bumps in their enrollment largely hung on to those kids. Talk to me about the politics behind charter schools, because you mentioned they started as a Democratic idea, but they've caught on in a big way in Republican circles. Um, but this isn't cut and dry in terms of partisanship. You know, the Obama administration awarded billions of dollars in competitive grant programs to states with charter friendly laws. Um, former President Donald Trump was a vocal advocate of charter schools uh, saying in a speech back in 2020 that school choice is the civil rights statement of the year. What is it about charter schools that draws in some Democrats and a lot of Republicans? Well, it's interesting. For years and years, charter schools really had very strong bipartisan support. You know, Democrats appreciated them as a public option that that a lot of families, you know, were into. Republicans are in favor of all types of choice. And so it was also popular with Republicans. What's interesting is that actually Democratic support for charter schools really only soured in the last, you know, few years. A lot of that was because uh, of the support of President Trump. You know, I think that politically he was so divisive and his administration was so divisive that Democrats didn't want to be in favor of just about anything that he was in favor of. And so you really saw a lot of prominent Democratic lawmakers, including now President Biden, take a step back from their support of charter schools. Is there truth to the criticism that you hear from the left that these schools will siphon away the best students, they will siphon away dollars from public schools? Have we seen any research bearing out the worst fears of critics on the left? Well, yes. I mean, to some extent, yes. Some of those concerns are valid. There have been a number of issues with the charter sector. And, you know, I want to 
make sure that people are understanding that the charter sector is huge. So you can't really judge the entire sector after you know one school or or one incident. But there have been issues with with fraud and misuse of public dollars. You know, there have been schools that have closed mid-year, and so all of these students suddenly have to find new placements. Um, you know, there's a there's there's been concern in some states about charter schools serving fewer students with disabilities than the traditional public schools. Um, you know, and so the, the, all of those concerns are are valid. It's it just kind of depends on the school itself and also how the sector is regulated by the state. Some have stricter controls than others. We've talked about the ways that nationwide charter school enrollment has gone up since the pandemic. You know, in Washington state, we've seen these legal battles over the funding of charter schools. Now that that has settled down and the pandemic has fueled greater interest in school choice, what do you think the future of charter schools could look like in Washington state? Oh, it's so hard to predict. You know, it's 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 still it's, I think it's still a time when there's a lot of upheaval in education. And there's a lot of concerns about, you know, the academic and, and even emotional damage that the pandemic did to children. So there's just a lot of needs um, among among children out there. And so, you know, I think that it's likely that charter schools will still appeal to some families who are looking for different choices. But because there are still so few in Washington, I don't think the impact there is as large as in other places. And it still sort of remains to be seen. Kara Fitzpatrick is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and the author of The Death of Public School, How Conservatives Won the War Over Education in America. And she's currently a story editor for Chalkbeat National and New York. Kara, thanks so much for being here and for sharing your reporting and perspective. Thanks for having me. And I'm curious about your thoughts on Washington State's charter schools. Have you attended a charter school or has somebody in your family, has your child attended a charter school? What's been your experience? We'd love to hear your voicemails at 206-221-3213. Maybe you've worked at a charter school. Again, the number for sending us voicemails is 206-221-3213. And you can also email us at soundside at KUOW.org. Thanks for listening to Soundside. This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m. Monday through Thursday or anytime online at KUOW.org. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.